Romans 13, verse 1, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And Father, we just humbly bow our hearts before you and Lord, want to continue in an attitude of worship in spirit and truth. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit, who gave us the truth of your word, would just speak to our hearts in a direct and a personal way, that we would glean every thought and intent and purpose behind the reason that you penned this particular section of Scripture in your word for us. Lord, we ask that you would prepare us in a way that only you can and you alone know that we need. Make us alert and receptive and make our hearts good and fertile soil. And may we each hear, Lord, not wiser, persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking directly and personally to our hearts. Bless your word and teach us by your spirit's ministry, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what is a good litmus test of your current state spiritually? The Bible, it seems in this place and in others, would say that that oftentimes can be reflected by how we respond to and how we relate to authority. The way that we respond to, the way that we relate to authority, whether it be in our home life, whether it be in our school system, whether it be in our job place, and guess what? Even as it may relate to things like government and the police department can be, in many ways, a clear reflection of where we're at spiritually. See, if we have a genuine relationship with the Lord, the Bible teaches that that should then influence and affect and should impact every single area of our lives. It should even affect our attitude in relation to, yes, things even like government, the laws of our land, police department and our interaction with them, and yes, even, lo and behold, ethics in paying our taxes. And this is what, as you can see from our reading, our next portion of Scripture is addressing and instructing us regarding. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 declared this, verse 20, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a believer, yes, my, your citizenship is heavenly, it's eternal. We are citizens 
of heaven and we're ambassadors here on this earth, but we have to remember we are still currently residents and citizens here on this planet in the place where we live. We have a dual citizenship and this world is a tool I have found many times that the Lord will use in our lives to prepare us for that eternal citizenship. It's a tool, this world and all its operations and the experiences we go through, though it's a fallen planet even, that will develop us spiritually and ready us for what we're to experience eternally. It's important to recognize this imperfect, unjust, even sinful world and all its operations can and does serve to further God's purposes in our lives. It gives us opportunities, does it not, daily truly to really see if we're living surrendered to Christ. It's easy to say that we're following Christ. It's easy to think that we're doing well spiritually, but the world then daily presents us opportunities to see if we're really being conformed to the patterns of this world and the way that we think about things and how we handle them and process them, or whether or not we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind and we actually are becoming more Christ-like. This world, I found, can draw out of me the worst and reveal the reality to me of where I'm really at spiritually. For example, it's pretty easy to say, I'm merciful. Well, it's easy to say I'm merciful, but we find out very quickly it's not until you've been treated wrongly or someone has hurt you or mistreated you or done something to violate you in some way, whether legitimately or in a misunderstanding, that once you've been wounded or mistreated, then you honestly find out, are you really merciful? Are you going to retaliate? Are you going to hunker down and get a grudge match going in your heart and look for ways to repay or avenge yourself? Or are you really going to extend mercy and just leave it with God and be forgiving and trust God to address even your offender and the wrong done to you. It's easy to say things like, I'm humble, I'm I'm submissive, I'm someone who's, you know, an unselfish person by this point, but we never really know if that's true until the time comes when your will and your way is then challenged by someone who's maybe an authority over you, and then all of a sudden you find out how submissive, how humble, how unselfish you really are. It's easy to say, I mean, I think I'm you know, pretty servant-hearted, but one man said before, and I've always remembered it, he said, look, you can really tell how well you're doing at being a servant the next time somebody treats you like you're their slave. And if you've ever been treated like you're a slave before, it's a lot of times a good way to discover really if you're servant-hearted because when somebody treats you like their slave, how do you handle that? How do you respond to that? It's a revelation of those things. So this world is a tool to both reveal and transform our lives. And the verses we've been going through now since Romans 12.1 are practical aspects of living surrender to Jesus in this world. They teach us how to live loyal to our king of kings, our ultimate kings, while still being pilgrims on the earth. And here this morning, specifically how that pertains to our relationship with governmental authority, with law enforcement, with things of this nature and how that operates in our society. Again, remember, one of the divine institutions that God has established that we read about in Scripture is not only family, which is an institution to help train and develop healthy people, but God also divinely has established the institution of government, which then regulates humanity 
especially if people are functioning in an unhealthy way. So how we relate to government, to laws, to police, to military, etc., not only matters to God, but it even indicates where we're at spiritually and even in our walk with Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 1 as Paul begins to explain this. He says, first of all, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So we see here in verse 1 that we are to live in submission to the civil government primarily because it is something that has been instituted and established by God himself. Paul tells us here in the beginning of verse 1 that every person, he says every soul, so that includes each and every one of us, every soul, he says, should be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, every person should be in submissive relationship to those who have been given the power and the right to rule and to govern in society, especially as believers, as Christians. We should be characterized Above all others, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we should be characterized by an attitude of submissiveness, by an attitude of humility. Listen, Christians should not be rebels. Jesus was not a rebel. And Jesus had all the authority of heaven and earth coursing through his life. And he was not rebellious. He was submissive. He was humble. The one biographical statement he makes about himself is he calls himself meek and lowly of heart. So Christians should never be rebels. And how we relate to and interact with governmental authority, how we relate to and interact with those who enforce laws in society by their God-given calling to do that, that really is a reflection of our spiritual condition. The Bible says here that we should all be submissive to those given right and power to rule in society. Governmental officials, the judicial system, law enforcement in different capacities, military, these different types of things. And the Bible even gives reason here. Look at it in verse 1. As if we needed a reason to obey God's command, but sometimes God even gives us a reason. He's gracious. He says, I'm even going to give you a reason why you should always be submissive to governing authorities. He says, for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So the reason for our willing subjugation of ourselves to governmental authority is scripture says because those individuals have been given the ability and the power to rule by God himself. By God himself. God has placed them in authority and allowed them the right to rule. All authority ultimately Biblically, the Bible says, is derived from God himself. The text couldn't be more clear. It may be hard to swallow, I understand, but all authority is sanctioned by God. Genesis 9 is where we see the institution of human government put into place among humanity by God. So human government, in whatever form it may take, and the Bible doesn't seem to specify we can't be dogmatic that one form of government is right or wrong over another. What the Bible does say is that human government has been instituted by God because God saw that humanity needed something to regulate the sinful propensity in our hearts. So it's sanctioned by God. It's a divine institution because mankind needs to be governed and ruled. But therefore, God alone, the Bible says, ultimately determines who will be in places of rulership he permits, who will possess that authority and rule in various capacities. Now, as I just said a moment ago, I will be the very first to admit in this room this morning that truth is hard to swallow. 
But, I mean, look at it again in verse 1 there. It is very direct in its language. You can't mince the words of what the Word of God says there. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That word appointed that Paul uses there, interesting, it's translated in other places in the New Testament, that Greek term. Other places that word appointed is translated assigned, ordained, or determined. Now, let's insert those words into what Paul's saying there and, and hear how that even reads. All the authorities that exist are determined by God. There's no authority except from God and all the authorities that exist have been assigned by God. That makes some of us want to choke when we try and think about that and process it logically. Now, I understand the automatic, wait a minute, do you mean you're trying to tell me that even liberal, ungodly people in positions of political authority are there by authority from God? Do you, I mean, what, what about the communists? What, what about those despotic dictators who've ruled throughout history? Do they, did they rule according to God's appointment and God's allowance? The answer, though surprising and like some things in Scripture, hard to swallow logically, is yes. The Bible is extremely clear. It says there is no authority except from God and authorities that exist have been appointed by God. Now, certainly all rulers have not operated in ways pleasing to God. Doesn't mean God is approving or endorsing of the way they're handling their role yet because God is sovereign and God ultimately rules over all the affairs of man. The Bible teaches that it is God who ultimately permits, allows, determines who will have authority and who will be able to govern and rule among mankind. Remember, in the days Paul's writing this, it's during the Roman Empire, Roman government and rulership. Caesar Nero was upon the throne of the empire at this time. And if you look at his life historically, this guy was a madman. He was evil. He was immoral. He was vicious. The government of Rome historically caused society to be characterized by great corruption, incredible depravity, morally extreme cruelty. And all of that was a direct result, guess what, of the government. Coming down from the, the government of Rome, it caused the society to enter into these conditions. And Paul lived and wrote this in a time when governmental authorities in Rome were involved in all kinds of scandalous activity. There was abuse of power in the Roman Empire for personal gain among the government officials. The government endorsed all sorts of immorality in the empire in Rome. In many of the judicial proceedings, justice gave way to convenience rather than just doing what was right or ethical or just. And yet it's in the midst of that when there was a terrible time governmentally, the Spirit of God through the pen of Paul prompts Paul in the midst of that to say in his day, be subject to the governing authorities for they have been appointed by God. John chapter 19, remember Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate was getting frustrated because Jesus would not answer his questions in some ways and come to his own defense. And Pilate ultimately said this to Jesus, the governor there. Pilate said to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? Jesus' response, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. 
The idea is from heaven's throne. So here is Jesus, God in the flesh, the son of God, who came from heaven's throne. And Jesus says of Pilate's earthly throne that he had been delegated that authority and that rule by heaven. And Jesus acknowledged that as God in the flesh. Remember, the Jews had a very hard time submitting to the Roman oppressors because it's difficult to submit to cruel and, and, and to corrupt leaders. But we are commanded to for the Lord's sake. Peter writes in a similar way in 1 Peter 2. He says this. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Peter also says in that same chapter later on, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evil and for the praise of those who do good. We have to remember God in his providence and control over all time and history using everything the Bible says to work according to the counsel of his ultimate will may allow even evil and corrupt people to be in authority at time. And let me just say this. Maybe God has allowed a bad ruler at times to be raised up as a form of judgment and discipline. Consider the time of judges in the Old Testament, the time of the kings of Israel. Sometimes God may raise up and allow a corrupt leader to be in place as a form of judgment against a people or a nation because of what they're doing or the ways in which they've turned away from him. It's almost as if perhaps God is somewhat saying something like, okay, since you don't want me to rule over you, then I'll let him rule over you and try that out for a while and see how you like that path see how that works for you and god may as a form of discipline or judgment allow even a corrupt leader to be in place or it may be that god allows a corrupt man to have authority even to fulfill his prophetic plan and purposes i think in the old testament again of cyrus and nebuchadnezzar and how that was true of them these were immoral, ungodly men. They were pagan rulers, and yet God raised them up to be a part of his divine plan. He calls Cyrus a pagan ruler. His servant ultimately stirs the spirit of Cyrus to send the Jews back even to rebuild and reestablish their temple and worship there in Jerusalem. Again, this truth that God gives all authority and allows everyone permittance to rule does not ever mean that God agrees with what rulers do all the time. It does not mean that God is behind or initiating even the evil that happens as certain people rule and govern at times. It simply means that God is allowed and assigned their role of authority in his sovereign role of superintending over all the affairs of man. And therefore, this is the bottom line, if we rebel against human authority it simply shows that we are not submitted to God. We're not submitted to God because somehow we think that we need to resist or rebel to overthrow because somehow maybe God's not in control of what's going on. Now, Paul goes on verse two, look what he says. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist he says, will bring judgment on themselves. So if we resist or oppose the established governmental authority, 
The Bible says we are actually resisting or opposing the Lord himself and what he has established in society as something that's needed. And what's the result there? Verse 2 says that he who does such will bring judgment on themselves. God is saying here, if you resist and oppose civil authority, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to bring judgment upon yourself. Look, this is just a warning and promise that should be remembered and considered regarding our conduct as citizens in the society where we live. To violate the law or rebel against established authority is something that will result in bringing punishment or consequences upon ourselves. And that reality must be, it has to be understood. It has to be accepted whenever unlawful behavior has been practiced it's something that is critical to realize resistance rebellion against the law against authority is always going to incur punishment by design by design and the bible says that it's actually a healthy and a good thing now i understand the question starts to ruminate in all of our minds especially as christians do you mean that there is never a time to disobey any civil authority any governmental edict or rulership for any reason whatsoever well let me give to you a few scriptures that can help you process that from a scriptural standpoint instead of giving you my opinion daniel chapter 3 we find a time when nebuchadnezzar makes a golden image a statue and he makes a governmental edict and says whenever the band strikes up and plays everyone in the kingdom must bow down in a form of worship towards this golden statue of myself or else they'll be tossed into a fiery furnace well many of us know the bible story there are three hebrew young men devoted to god shadrach meshach and abednego and what happens the band strikes up the music starts to play everybody bows down and these three men don't bow they refuse to bow and to worship why because the lord had said in exodus 20 verse 3 and 5 you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the water or under the earth and you shall not bow down to them or serve them so nebuchadnezzar the ruler governmentally said you shall bow but the word of god said to these young hebrew men you shall not bow and they opted to obey the word of God as the higher law in their lives. Now, they were punished and they did incur and bring judgment upon themselves for righteousness sake, but they did bring judgment upon themselves. But God kept them. God preserved them through the fiery furnace. Another place we see similar thing, Daniel chapter 6. There in Daniel chapter 6, Darius passes a law forbidding prayer in the kingdom from anyone anymore. No one could pray to anyone other than Darius himself. And what does Daniel do? Here, Daniel, at this point, he even has an established place of somewhat recognition in the culture. I mean, he's a, a well-respected man. And now Daniel finds out there's a law. Daniel, you can't pray anymore. What does Daniel do? He does what he always did. He goes back to his room. He opens his windows. He got on his knees and he kept praying to the God of heaven. As a result of that, what happened? He was punished for righteousness sake. And Daniel was cast to the uh, lions in the lion's den, but again, punished by man, but what? Preserved by God. Preserved by God. Acts chapter 5, New Testament example. Many of us know it. The Sanhedrin forbids the disciples to do what? Speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but the disciples, what? Keep preaching. 
They keep communicating about Jesus. So then what transpires, Acts chapter 5, they arrest the apostles, they put them in prison, and they bring them before the council, and they say to them, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. What does Peter answer? We ought to obey God rather than men. So again, law is passed. You cannot preach about Jesus. You cannot speak the word of God. That is, and what do they do? When forbidden to speak the word of God or share the gospel, they said that violates a higher law. That violates God's law. The point of those stories, there may be time to resist civil authority. It may be a time if and when the government tells you to do something contrary to the written word of God. There may come a time when the governing authority seeks to stop your relationship with the Lord or command you to be silent about your faith. Listen, these are occasions that whenever obedience to man, hear me, whenever obedience to man is inconsistent with obedience to God in Scripture, then disobedience becomes a duty. It becomes a duty to a higher law, to a higher authority to the supreme authority of God's rulership over our lives. But let me say this, civil disobedience should be rare exceptions. And you better have chapter and verse in hand if you're going to stand in good conscience before the Lord if that comes to pass. It should not be the rule. The rule, verse 2 says, is that we should not resist the authority because when we do Maybe we just don't agree with something. If we do resist, he says, you're actually rebelling against God. So it may be a rare exception, but the general rule normally and scripturally should be cooperation, submission to governmental authorities, the laws of our land, law enforcement, because God has put these things into place. And he's put them into place for a purpose. Notice he goes on verse 3. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. So again, rulers, government officials, law enforcement, judges, military, these things are put in place. The Bible says here, verse 3, for a reason, and that is to promote good and to deter and to resist that which is evil. That is the legitimate exercise of the God-given power and authority to those in civil places of authority to promote good and to deter and resist evil and again you know how this works uh, you know if you're good and you're obeying the law you really should have nothing to fear it's only if you're a lawbreaker or you've broken the law or you're doing something that's evil that then you should be concerned or you have reason to fear let me give a very simple example i know every licensed driver can relate to you're cruising along down the road, you're going the speed limit, and you pass a police officer parked on the side of the road. If you're passing a police officer on the side of the road, you're going the speed limit, you don't stress, you don't worry, right? But let's say you're driving down that same road again, and as you're driving down that same road, you pass a police officer or a police car, and you realize you're about 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. I just say this theoretically never happened to me my wife gives me these illustrations for for sermons but what happens then all of a sudden if you know you're violating the law then what the fear sets in all of a sudden you tense up and especially then if you see those lights 
light up in the back, you realize, oh man, now I have a reason to be afraid. And this is what God is saying here. Rulers are not a threat to good works if you're doing what's lawful, but to evil, only if you're breaking a law or violating what you should. One translation renders this, for the authorities do not frighten people who are doing right, but they frighten those who do wrong. So do what they say and you will get along well. I think that's great. I mean, look, man, the Bible is so practical. Look how he goes on, verse 4. He says, regarding the rulers, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword, that is, he's not armed, in vain for no reason. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, I want you to notice here, especially verse four, notice multiple times, not just in this verse, but in this section, there is this repeated emphasis. The Holy Spirit identifies civil authorities, again, governmental officials, police, law enforcement officers. They are identified as what? God's ministers. I have that underlined. I think it's so profound. God's ministers, they should really serve, therefore, God's purposes on the earth in that position. They should seek God's approval in how they handle their affairs and responsibilities. And even as spiritual ministers will one day give an account for our role that God has assigned to us, in the same way, civil ministers will one day give an account to God for how they used their authority properly or improperly, for how they handled their position and role that God gave them civilly. He says here, verse four, look at the text. He says, he is God's minister for good for you. He's God's minister for good. Again, can I go back to the same illustration? It's good, truly, that we have police officers who will write us tickets. It's good that we have police officers because if they weren't there, I'd drive a whole lot faster. Everybody would drive a whole lot faster and the roads would become an extremely dangerous place. So it is actually a good thing to have authority. It's a good thing to have order and to have a system of laws. Government is given by God for our good. Those who enforce the laws of government do so for our good for our benefit. It's actually good for us. Try this. Next time you get pulled over by a police officer and let's say he issues you the citation, say, you know what, officer? Thank you for ministering to me. Thank you. This really ministers to me because when I'm writing that check to pay the citation, I'm going to remember, and I've done it before, a lot more sensitively in the days I drive ahead to pay attention to the speed limits, to comply by laws which are there for what? Safety, for welfare, so that we don't hurt and harm and self-destroy on this planet. God's established government for the welfare of society to protect what is good and to deter and punish lawbreakers and evil behavior. Look, gang, without government, this sin-sick world would suffer tremendously. It would get out of control. We would get out of control. That's why he says here, even in verse 4, look at our text. He says that he does not, that minister of God, he does not bear the sword 
in vain. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Human government, in order to be effective, God has given them the ability to, it says, bear the sword. The idea is to be armed. And in order for government to be effective, it must justly punish evil and violations of the law, and that also further deters other people from violating laws as they witness that taking place with credibility. Without the power to punish human government, civil authority, law enforcement would be ineffective. It would be purposeless. It's essential that there be that capacity to punish and execute judgment properly and justly. If you read Genesis 6 through Genesis 9, which leads to the institution of human government, where ultimately God says, if man sheds blood, by man his blood shall be shed. When you read that, you realize the institution originally, the reason God established government among mankind is to regulate and restrain the sinful, evil tendency and capacity inside of every one of us as human beings. And we need that. God gave man the ability, the Bible saying here, verse 4, to do something about evil among humanity, to deter it, to hold it back. And this indicates that God gave civil government and those who enforce law and order in the society with that God-given authority, again, police officers, military, he gave them by divine decree the right to bear arms and the right to use force with the arms that they have to judge, to punish, and to remove evil as necessary. The Bible is saying they are armed with weapons for a purpose. For a reason. You see what the text says there? I'm not making it up. He says, they don't bear the sword in vain. They're armed for a reason. They should be armed for a reason. And if needed, to wound and even to take the life of a violator of the law or an evil person as a legitimate God-given role and duty in their line of service. They're there and work in that way for a purpose. And God has even authorized scripturally in government capital punishment as the ultimate punishment against certain lawbreakers. Listen, I understand you may have convictions that you want to hold and you're certainly always free to disagree, but capital punishment when used justly is good for society. And biblically, God says it's not murder. It is divinely ordered execution of justice to help keep humanity healthy and safe. It's something I understand is a sensitive topic, but it is something God's instituted and orchestrates through the state and through the government when it is done justly and done properly. And consider, if you would, how this truth here in verse 4 that we're looking at really helps us as we experience wrongdoing in society. Can I draw your attention back to chapter 12, verse 19, the end of the chapter? Remember when we were looking at this about being hurt and mistreated and how we handle when we've been wronged? Chapter 12, verse 19, the instruction to us was this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Don't retaliate. Don't take matters into your own hands when you're wronged or violated. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather what? Give place to wrath. For it's written, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I would say this. Look at chapter 13, verse 4 again. It says, God's minister does not bear the sword, the weapon in vain, 
or, or the ability to bring judgment or punishment judicially in vain for he's God's minister. Look what it says. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I think here we see this is one of the ways God accomplishes that promise from chapter 12, verse 19. God says, look, when something happens to you, when you are maybe, let's say, a victim of crime and somebody violates you by some criminal way, God says, look, one of the ways I will accomplish, give me room, don't take matters in your hand. One of the ways I will accomplish executing just punishment and wrath is through civil authority, through the law enforcement, through the judicial system. They are God's resource and God's way in, in a healthy, ordained way by God to handle those affairs. Listen, please hear me. If people will not listen to reason... That is what the law enforcement is there for. If you're having a domestic issue in your home and your husband or someone or your son will not listen to reason, that is what the law enforcement is there for. They are to be utilized to restrain evil. They are to be utilized, the judicial system is to be utilized to restrain and judge evil. That is the healthy way. That is the God-given way. And it keeps things from then magnifying into much bigger problems if we understand these are God-given things established for our good. Paul goes on, verse 5, to say, Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, because you're afraid of consequences, but also for conscience sake. So we should be submitted to civil authority, not just because we're afraid of consequences, but Paul says also because we know it's right. Certainly as Christians, now we all know it's right because we're studying it together. We know it's pleasing to God. We, we know what's right and wrong. We understand they're God's ministers. They're civil ministers given God-given authority, established for God's good and plan among society and therefore for conscience sake, even when I don't fully agree. And I don't fully agree with a lot of what people do in government on the local level, on the state level, on the federal level. And there's a lot that I'm sure you don't agree with, but yet nonetheless we respect the authority and the position and we submit ourselves cooperatively within the confines of law in the way that we should because we know it's what God would have us do. So for conscience sake before God, we do it as a rendering to please Him. Verse 6, he then says, For because of this, you also pay taxes and everyone tunes out the last few minutes <laughs> for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs to whom customs fear to whom fear honor to whom honor so look what the Bible says here not only should we be submissive but we should also be responsibly supportive of government and those in places of civil authority. Again, because these officials in government, police department, these are truly civil servants. They're God's ministers. Therefore, God says, I need these individuals to be compensated so they can give themselves to this important work that God's established it for. I want you to notice verse 6 here. He says, for because of these things that you've learned in the first five verses, he says, you also, for that reason, pay taxes because they're God's ministers attending continually to that very thing. Here the Bible says there is a justifiable basis and reason to pay taxes. 
There's a biblical reason, the Bible says, by God's design to pay taxes because government and civil service workers, they regulate something in society that God knows that we all need. And they need to give themselves to those things fully. And just as we, maybe through tithes and offerings, may support and compensate a spiritual minister, a missionary, a pastor, so they can give themselves fully to that work of ministry, in the same way those serving in the civil capacity should be able to give themselves to that ministry and be compensated and I'm going to say this compensated well for what they do I wouldn't want their job look I was a police chaplain for about six years in uh, York when we were pastoring there and got to see firsthand what law enforcement officers go through and deal with day in and day out putting their life on the line every day and listen it's the wild west out there man Especially the young generation. I mean, the, the, the lack of reverence and respect for authority. Most law enforcement officers more, were more concerned and uneasy about teenagers, 12 and 14-year-olds, than they were dealing with adults. Because most adults have some sense of a conscience of if I pull this trigger and shoot somebody, what that's going to mean. But these young people, care. these guys put their lives on the line, these men and women, every day. And guess what? They have a family they want to go home to too. And they would not be doing what they're doing if there weren't people doing evil. They would have no reason for existence. So they deserve to be cared for, to be compensated, to be supported. He says, verse 7 here, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So again, please look at this. I know it's hard. God's word is very clear. We are commanded to pay our taxes whether that's property and real estate tax, whether it's our employment and income tax, whether it's sales tax, we are to pay all taxes that are due by government regulation and law. The Bible says that we are called to do that and we are to do such, listen, ethically and fully and entirely and honestly in compliance with the law and there is no room for loopholes there. There's no room for little disputes. Remember, tax money was going to every kind of evil in Paul's day. Oh, I don't like what they're using it for. I'm sure Paul didn't like it either. But Paul says, pay your taxes. Because God would have you to do that. You read Matthew chapter 17. You read Matthew chapter 22. Two occasions, Jesus clearly says, pay the taxes. They come to Jesus. Should we pay taxes? What should we do? Jesus says, Matthew 22, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said, whose image? Whose inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. He said, well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. I think Jesus would say to us simply, give to the United States what belongs to the United States and give to God what belongs to God. But we should never ever come to a place where we begin to get a wrong concept. A surrendered servant of Jesus should be a good citizen. We should be a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, respectful. We should not be working under the table. We should not be you know, receiving compensation and then not reporting it on our taxes. We should not be operating a business and fudging or hiding and falsifying income reports. We shouldn't be cheating on our tax returns. We should not be people who are you know, finding any way to avert paying taxes for something we purchased or acquired. We should not be doing that. The Bible says render 
to all their due, taxes to whom taxes, customs to whom customs, whatever it may be. And on top of that, we should remember that we as Christians too should be compliant and cooperative and submissive even in our relation and interaction Again, with law enforcement officers, with civil authorities in all different arenas, because he also says, verse 7 there, that we should render fear or reverence to whom reverence is due, and we should render honor to where honor is due. Believers should be supportive and standing behind the law enforcement. We should. We should be not only praying for them, we should be upholding their value in society. We should be speaking up when people want to broad brush our law enforcement as if somehow all they are is a people with chip on their shoulders that want to abuse their authority everywhere they go. Listen, I worked with the law department for six years. That is not true. That is not an accurate representation overall of the law department. Listen, are there going to be select individuals who abuse their authority? Of course. I understand that. But there are corrupt doctors, there are corrupt lawyers. There are corrupt pastors. And we don't run all around the country and destroy cities and do crazy things and blow up this big scandal as if that's the way everybody is. Listen, we are setting ourselves up for a major, major mistake if we just start broad brushing and devaluing the government, the law enforcement. Look, we're going to create a Wild West for ourselves. As Christians, we should advocate what the Word of God says and we should relate and respond to them in a way that is going to be pleasing with God and helpful and supportive to them. Look, can I remind you of, again, Jesus' words that I mentioned a moment ago? Jesus said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but then he said this, render to God what's God's. Look, that money had the image of Caesar on it. So Jesus said, if it's God's image, then it belongs to him. Give it to him. Jesus said, render to God what belongs to God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who bears God's image? We do. So Jesus says, well then, in the same way, give what belongs to God, your entire life to God. And can I just say this in conclusion this morning? Until a person is rightly related to God and submitted to God's authority, they will never be able to submit properly to human authority. Until we are humbled before God and submitted to Jesus Christ and we've received his forgiveness and he is our Lord and we're living in submission to Christ fully in our hearts, we will never be able to submit in our home lives as children, as wives, as husbands. We'll never be able to submit in our job places to our employers. We'll never be able to submit in school systems or submit to law enforcement until we first submit to God. That is the key. That is the starting point and the basis. Shall we stand together? Let's pray.